Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Oh Lord, we praise you. You God are the sovereign Lord who deserves all glory and honor and praise. The nations are your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You, God, you are all-powerful, you are ever-present, and in you rests all of our hope. Lord, we ask this morning that you would forgive us when we fail to remember that you are working all things for our good, and that you are constantly working to build your kingdom just as you promised, Lord. In spite of all the schemes of, uh, of evil, you are continually building your church. Lord, we also ask for forgiveness for the sins that, that come to our minds now. The sins that we know that uh, cling to us so tightly. The sins that we struggle with, Lord. We confess them to you now. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for the sin that has grown, we've grown comfortable with, that create in us uh, a disdain for the way you've called us, Lord. We, but we ask that you would remove that from us. We ask that you would create in us a hate for sin and a love for following you. Jesus, we thank you for the blood that you shed to secure our forgiveness. We thank you for your spirit that is moving us to look like you, just as you promised, Lord. Father, we want to lift before you those who are struggling this morning, struggling with sin, struggling with sickness and marital problems and finances and pain and anger and uh, unforgiveness and the many other things that bring us low. Would you increase our faith, Lord? Would you increase our faith that you are always with us in our suffering, that you are guiding us, that you are using all things for our good? We ask that you would turn our eyes towards you. We ask, Lord, that you would set us free. We lift before you this morning the lost, those who do not truly know you as as Savior and Lord. We ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would bring that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ into their minds and hearts. That you would turn them away from a life uh, bent away from you and draw them into your love. Deliver them from the sin that is killing them, Lord. We also pray this morning for the, the First Presbyterian Church of North Bend. Lord, we ask that you would work in a mighty way uh, through them, that you would save the lost through the preaching of the word, that you would be with the pastor as he preaches, that you would guide him by your Holy Spirit, that you would be with their congregation as they become a light to the the town and the city around them. God, we ask that you would be honored, and we just thank you that we live in such a a place in the world where there's many gospel-preaching churches. It's a privilege. I pray that you would bring it to our hearts that we would pray 
for them. We don't compete. We participate in building the kingdom together. Lord, I thank you for that. Holy Spirit, as we turn to your word this morning, we ask that you would quiet our minds from all of the distractions that uh, move our, our minds away from you, the hunger pains maybe that uh, make us want to uh, think about lunch more than your word, Lord, that, but we ask that you would just focus our mind on you, focus our mind on what you want us to hear, that you would change our hearts and, and create in us obedience. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give me the words this morning to speak that bring honor and glory to you, Jesus. Teach us this morning, Lord, for your word is life, and in you we live and move and breathe. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, kiddos, you are released. Oh, I thought I muted my mic. I didn't. Sorry about that. <laughs> that is weird. Everybody blows their nose, Michael. <laughs> oh, I tried. Well, good morning, church. Have you ever felt out of control? Have you ever felt like a situation is out of control? Um, or that everything is going wrong and, and God seems to be quiet or nowhere to be found, like your prayers are only hitting uh, the ceiling, or even praying and not expecting the Lord to answer. Like we saw this, uh, this morning in the passage that Aaron read, uh, I think the church was just as surprised um, as, as Peter whenever their prayers were answered. But in those moments, um, that's when our faith is really put to the test. And, and either our faith is going to grow in those times of, of persecution or those times of pressure, or it's going to wither. We often, we squander those moments um, that we should be praying because we're focusing more on the process, more on the, the circumstances than we are on God's providence and how he is in control of every single situation. We forget often that, that God is growing us no matter what is happening in our lives. We forget that the Lord is saving us no matter how hard the struggle is. We forget that the Lord is building his church no matter what is happening. So we need to learn to look to the Lord in those times. We need to learn to rest in him, to rest in his sovereignty, to trust in his power. Because if we know that Jesus has all authority and he is presently reigning as king, then we can live by faith that the word of God will continue to grow and multiply and increase. So we, in those times, we have to begin by being uh, in prayer. A prayer to the sovereign Lord. If you look at the text this morning with me, Acts 12 if you're not there, if you don't have a Bible, there's one around you. Uh, Aaron told you the page number. I don't remember it. Um, 
But if you don't have a Bible at all, take that one. We want you to have the word of God. Hear the word. About that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison and delivered him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So the name Herod is pretty familiar to us if you've read through um, the, the New Testament. If, if you were here when we were walking through Luke or crawling through Luke, some would say, um, we heard of Herod. Herod in this narrative is, is Herod Agrippa. He's the nephew of Herod Antipas he, who put John the Baptist to death. So we, we know who Herod Antipas is. We've seen him. And he's also the grandson of Herod the Great, who slaughtered uh, children in search for Jesus Christ. So um, he comes from a lovely line of, of people. And this Herod, he's not much different than his ancestors. What he does immediately when he comes into power is starts persecuting the church. He's, he's familiar with this movement, this Christian movement. Uh, we saw uh, last week or the week before that they were first called Christians in Antioch, and he's seeing it starting to spread around, and, and his, his granddad tried to get rid of them, and his uncle tried to get rid of them, and he said, now I'm going to be the one to squash this movement. His family had been trying for almost half a century now to get rid of this movement, whose leader's name was Jesus Christ, and the followers were Christians. But even though this Herod and his line of, of family line, were, they were very powerful, they weren't sovereign. They depended on Caesar to place them in that position. They depended on the Jews liking them so that they wouldn't have chaos in their realm of ruling Even though he was powerful, he wasn't sovereign like the Lord God we serve. Now, as Christians, we use the word sovereign a lot, um, and we need to say, okay, what does that actually mean? What does it mean when we speak of God's sovereignty? We could define it in this way. It's not up there. That's okay. Um, Good thing I wrote it down. A natural consequence of God's complete and total knowledge of all things, his complete and total power over all things, and his complete and total presence in all areas. J.R.R. Tolkien, he wrote the book called The Silmarillion, that's not right, Silmarillion, sorry, and he's painting the picture uh, in the early chapters of the book of, of creation, And he's talking about how all of creation is reflecting God's sovereignty. It's reflecting his mind uh, in this beautiful, harmonious scene. But then Satan comes in, and, and the way he pictures it is music. And then Satan starts playing these notes um, that are contrary to what God determined to be played. 
and it starts to corrode what what God created. It starts to sound different than what he um, set forth. And and you think, well, Satan is just ruining what God has created. And we saw that in, in Genesis 3. God creates and everything is good, and then Satan comes in and starts to ruin things. But the Lord addresses Satan, and Tolkien says, the Lord says to him, so that all of creation knows that I am God. I will allow all that you have set out to disturb in creation, so that you will see what you have done, and that no theme may be played that does not have its source in me. Nor can any alter the music in defiance of me. For any that attempts this, they will only prove to be an instrument of mine. You see, church, Jesus is the reigning king. He is sovereign. He has all authority. He builds his kingdom how he determines to build his kingdom, when he desires, how he desires, and nothing can hinder his plan. Actually, everything that seems to be hindering his plan is only working to further his plan. But circumstances, they start to arise in our lives and in history that make us start to question God's sovereignty. Things like persecution we see here in, we've seen it since the beginning of Acts. In persecution, we have this tendency to, to think, well, well, things are going wrong. There's this struggle in the spiritual realm, and Satan is scheming, and he is plotting, and, and God has to scramble to come up with this counterattack. But that's not reality. Persecution only comes because the Lord allows it to happen. He's using it to remove our reliance and trust on the things that we see so that our faith is placed in the things that we do not see. He is using persecution and trials and pressure to accomplish exactly what he wants to accomplish. This is why Jesus says in Matthew, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, it's a good thing if you're persecuted because it is proving that yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice! And be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For they, so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He says, it's okay. And you, the persecution, it comes, and all it's doing is showing you that you're mine, and you can be rejoicing, and you can be glad, because you have a much greater reward than the acceptance of humanity. You have rewards in heaven for all eternity. Persecution should not lead us to question God's sovereignty. It should bring us to our knees in search for his sovereignty. Crying out in faith, Lord, I know you're sovereign. Would you act in this situation? Martyrdom also causes us to question God's sovereignty. When those are killed before we think, why is God allowing the saints to die? Why does he allow James to die here? He's one of the chosen He's one of the 12. He's one of the ones that the Lord went to specifically. Jesus goes to and calls him and and shepherds him for three years and then allows him to die 
before he plants churches, before he writes books, before the, the Christian movement even really gets rolling, James dies. On November 20th, 1839, a man named John Williams, uh, in his early 40s, he sails to this island called Aramango. He has the, the view of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the natives of that very remote island known to have cannibals. And as he arrives, he's immediately captured and eaten by cannibals within minutes of landing ashore. And you think, what was the purpose of that? Nothing happened. He got there with the gospel on his mind and died immediately. We can't understand why God allows or decides what he chooses. But we know that the death of his saints are never wasted. John Williams' death became an inspiration to a Scottish missionary named John Patton, who embarked on a very similar mission. They told him, don't go there, you're going to be eaten by cannibals. But he ends up being there, translating the New Testament in their language and winning people for Christ. The early church father, Jerome, he writes, the church of Christ has been founded by shedding its own blood, not that of others, by enduring outrage, not by inflicting it. Persecutions have made the church grow, and martyrdom have crowned it. Even in death, the cause of Jesus Christ is moving forward because the kingdom of God depends on only one person, the man Jesus Christ. Probably the most common thing that causes us to question God's sovereignty is, at least in America, it's not persecution, and it's really not martyrdom, but it's this unknown outcome. We don't know what's going to happen. We, we love to know what's coming. That's why we watch trailers before we go see a movie. I'm not watching that. That looks dumb. I'm not going to waste my money. I want to see what's going to happen before I actually do it, before I go. The church, in this passage, they have no idea what's going to happen to Peter. Peter has no idea what's going to happen to him. All they know is he's slotted to die after Passover. That's it. And it's in those times of the unknown that we start to doubt God's sovereignty. We start to question God's sovereignty. We start thinking, if I don't know the future, maybe God is out of control. But believer, in those moments, in those waitings and the unknown outcomes, waiting for the test result, waiting for the college to answer, waiting for your spouse to change, uh, pray for your faith to increase. Pray that the Lord would work in your heart, that he would increase your faith. Just as the father brings his sick child in Mark 9 to Jesus, and he says, I know you can heal, but he says, I believe that but help my unbelief because I really can't see it happening. Satan will hold before you the impossibility of every situation. You'll see this is impossible. It can't happen. But church, you have a God of the impossible. The one through whom all things are possible. The one who holds all things together. So hold the line. 
Hold the line because Jesus has all authority. And then live by faith that the word of God will increase. The word of God will multiply until Jesus returns. And trials, what they need to do, instead of pulling us back from God, they need to push us to pray earnestly to him. Look at the text. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. They had no idea. They had no power. They just prayed. They didn't, they didn't go to the palace and protest. They didn't, they didn't say, this is not fair. They, Herod, what are you doing? They didn't sit around and bicker and complain and grumble to each other. What they did is they got together and they hit their knees and prayed. A good example of earnest prayer is seen. The word is only used one other time. And it's used of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, Jesus prayed, Father, if you remember, it's, this is right before the cross. If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Church, if Jesus Christ earnestly prayed, how much more should we? We should pray earnestly for the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of life, the lost to be found. We should earnestly be praying for solid biblical preaching and teaching in our churches, for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Our earnest prayer is not a prayer that lasts just a few moments. It is, it is a desperate crying out to the Lord until he moves. And Jesus, he was earnestly praying and he, he still went to the cross but that didn't stop him from praying. For many of us, I believe that Jesus would find us sleeping just as he did the disciples. That he would say, could you not watch with me for one hour? Cry out for God to sanctify his people. Deepen your, to deepen your relationship with him. To increase your wisdom in life so that you can live for his glory. Your passion, your desire, your energy and ministry and, and work so that you are bringing him glory, that you're doing what he is calling you to do, not what your heart's desire is. Earnestly pray for the lost. Pray earnestly for the church to be sanctified and, and delivered from ap apathy. The church to be delivered from sin. The church to be delivered from worldliness so that we are a light, a city on a hill, salt in our communities. Believer, you need to be a person of prayer. You need to set aside time each day and cry out to the Lord. You can say, I've tried and I just get distracted and think about my day. That's okay. Start praying Start with 15 minutes. Pray with a pencil in your hand. 
write your prayers and build from there. Pray until you actually start to pray. Battle the, the, everything that comes in your mind and just say, Lord, I'm sorry, and pray. And continue to pray. And gather to pray with the saints. When persecution hit this church, not this church, but the church here in Acts, they gather and they pray. In Acts 2.42, it says they dedicated themselves to prayer. When they didn't have a, a, a disciple or an apostle after Judas died, they gathered and prayed. Sunday morning, we do the most important thing we do all week. We gather with the saints. We gather as one body and worship our God. But only a few show up at 8.30 before the service to cover this week to cover this service in prayer. We need to gather. We need to pray. We need to cry out to the Lord to save the lost in our midst, to deliver the one in our midst that's struck with sin, that's stuck in sin, that's, to just save marriages that are struggling, to burden the backslidden so that they will return to the Lord for godly families to lead, for the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word, the worship. The church was praying for Peter to be released from physical bondage. He was literally chained to soldiers. But church, we need to cry out for our brothers and sisters who are literally chained to sin, chained, stuck in what the spiritual bondage they've allowed themselves or that they are, are stuck in. Our neighbors, our friends, our sons, and our daughters, we need to pray that they will be released from spiritual bondage. Gather with the saints. Gather as a family at home. Gather in your small groups and earnestly pray. And what's going to feed our earnest prayers? Understanding the power of prayer. Remember, remember to whom you are praying. You're not praying to the ceiling. You're not praying to someone that's as weak as you are over your situation. You're praying to the sovereign Lord of all creation. You are praying to the risen and reigning king. The one who can actually do something. The one who holds, holds all things together. The one who tells the waves, this is as far as you can go. The one who demons have to go to and ask, can we go into the pigs so that you don't destroy us? The one who spoke the world into being and called Lazarus out of the grave. That's who we pray to. That's the one that we're bringing our prayers. The one who can actually do something. And when we pray, we trust the Lord's decisions. Waiting on the Lord, knowing that every decision that he makes is good, it's perfect, his timing is perfect, Peter is delivered. Look at verse 6 with me. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was slain between two soldiers, bound with two chains, sentries at the door. They were guarding the prison, and an angel of the Lord stood next to him. 
A light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side. I think he sleeps like I do. He, had to, he probably had to smack him a little harder. It said tapped him on uh, Aaron. When he, Aaron read, it said tapped in that translation. I think it was more struck than tapped. Uh, get one of those. And the chains fall off. Peter is delivered, though, right before, right before his execution. A lot of times we want to say, Lord, would you hurry up and answer my prayer? Would you hurry up? Um, You're running out of time. But he's never twisting his hands and wondering, oh, are we going to make it on time? Believer, if you've prayed, rest in the Lord's sovereignty. Trust his timing. And when you feel anxious, when you feel like, man, he's not answering my prayer. I need the answer by next week. They will. Thank you. Trust his timing. And believe that he can change things according to his plan and according to his will. If you, if you notice, we see in verse 3, this was during the days of unleavened bread. And you think, okay, so what? One, this parallels Jesus' execution, his crucifixion. But now we see he died the death that we should have died, and now he's delivering his church. But two, this days of unleavened bread was a time of, re- of remembering God delivering his people from Egypt. When he brought Israel out of the land, when he heard Israel's cry, when he heard them crying out in misery because they were in slavery, he hears them and delivers them out. That's the same thing that they should have been thinking about during this time. And the Lord hears the prayers of those crying out for Peter to be delivered, and he answers them. He delivers Peter out of the, sla- out of the prison. Why would he not do the same for us? As we read in Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he also not also with him graciously give us all things? Why would he not answer your prayers? If it's his will to do something, he will do it. Pray and believe. And not only do we need to pray to the sovereign Lord, we need to proclaim the power of the sovereign Lord. We need to proclaim the power of the sovereign Lord over the powers of this world. He delivers Peter from under heavy guard. We see he has four squads of soldiers. These four squads would have been rotating all night long. Every three hours, a new squad would come in. They would chain him to the, other, the two guards. Somebody would watch the, the door on the inside. Someone would probably watch the door on the outside. He was in a max security uh, prison, not in the local county jail where the sheriff sleeps with his legs up on the desk. There was no possibility for him to get out of there. He was not sneaking out. He was not tunneling out. He had to be delivered. But at a word, the chains fall off. At a word, four squads of soldiers are ignorant of what's happening. Church, proclaim the power of Jesus, the sovereign king. 
There is no power greater than our God. There is no president, no ruler, no tyrant, no demon, no antichrist, none that are stronger, more powerful, more knowledgeable than our Lord Jesus Christ. We often cower at the powers of this world, the political powers, the spiritual powers, the physical powers, but we should be proclaiming to one another the power of the risen king. He is the one that's in power. At at, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. At, At his word, his word, evil will be destroyed. This is our God. This is our hope. This is our strength. This is our shield. This is, this is who David was praying to as he would, very powerful, would go into battle. You, God, are my strength and shield. This is our family. The Lord is sovereign over every breath and every life in creation. We see in verses 20 through 23, that Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and they worship him, and they, they cry out to him. And immediately, verse 23, an angel of the Lord strikes him down because he did not give God the glory. He was eaten by worms. He breathed his last. Like Caesar, Herod thought that he was godlike. He thought he was really awesome, that he was mighty, that he was wonderful, that he was powerful. But in a moment, we are shown that he cannot even control his ability to breathe. He cannot control anything, but in a moment, his life is taken away. We see in Deuteronomy 32, 39, see now that I, even I, am he. This is the Lord speaking. There's no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. The breath of the most vile and evil dictator on the earth is only still breathing today because the Lord is allowing it to happen. Remind one another of that truth. Remind one another and proclaim the power of God over life and death, and then live by faith that the word of God will continue to multiply and increase. No matter how strong someone seems to be or something seems to be, God is more powerful. And proclaim the Lord as he builds his kingdom against all odds. We see immediately after verse 23, Herod dies And the word of God increased and multiplied. The word of this dictator, Herod, ceases and the word of God increases. And that will continue to happen. He will put down every ruler. We see in, in, in Psalm 2 that he will crush the nations with a rod of iron because he alone is king. Herod didn't win the battle against the Lord and killing off one of his disciples. He didn't win the battle against the Lord by throwing one in in prison. The persecution of the saints is not victory for evil. It's freedom for the believer and fuel for the church. It's the Lord that builds this church. We participate. We're not the answer. James' death reveals James was never the answer. Peter's imprisonment and fleeing from Jerusalem reveals he was never the answer. 
if ministry is built, ever built on the back of a a person, a finite person, it will absolutely crumble if they leave. But if it's anchored in the sovereign power of Jesus Christ, it will never fail. It will continue to increase. So we trust the Lord's power as he continues to build his kingdom in the very presence of our enemies. Just as Psalm 23, 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. We proclaim the Lord's answer to prayer also. Luke, in, here, in this passage, as he's recording Acts, he's doing exactly what Peter requests. Peter goes and he tells the church of what happened, and he says, now go and tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he leaves. And that's what Luke is doing. He's writing down so that all generations would know and understand that Jesus is the king. That all others are subject to his will. That the gospel that he secured by his death and resurrection will continue to grow. And Luke preserves this event in written form for you and for me so that we can continue to pray that the mission goes on. So that we can continue to hope and pray for the prisoner and the persecuted. So that we can continue to pray that Jesus will build his kingdom And nothing can stop him. And we proclaim the power of Jesus in the church. And as we do that, the church continues to grow in faith. Look at verse 11. Sorry. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. We preach it first to ourselves. The good news, the power of Jesus, we we have to first preach that to ourselves. What the Lord has done, what he is doing presently, and what he is going to do, what he promised in his word. And we often listen to doubts and negative thoughts in our own minds and in our own hearts, but we have to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And the way that we do that is we preach the gospel to ourselves. We remind ourselves, this is God doing this, what he promises to do. And then we proclaim it to the church. But motioning to them, verse 17, with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. He said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Tell others what God has done. How he has changed you, how he has saved you, how he is currently, presently transforming you. Tell of his faithfulness in scripture. Tell of how he is moving in others' lives, how you have seen him do the impossible. Proclaim it to the lost. Tell others of the hope you have. Share of the deliverance that you have experienced because of Jesus Christ. How he has changed your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. How he's delivered you from a life of sin to a life that longs to live for him. And not because you got your act together. But because Jesus has changed you and is continuing to do so. And finally we have to recognize the preeminence of the sovereign Lord. 
Now Herod was very angry, verse 20, with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat on the throne and delivered an, an oration to them. And the people were shouting, a voice of God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. He was eaten by worms and he breathed his last. But the word of the Lord increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Failure to recognize Jesus as Lord was Herod's folly. He thought Tyre and Sidon were dependent on him. He thought in, in, that they had, he had them. He knew that he could control them because he, they depended on him for food. But this was only because God allowed him to do so. And in the pride of his heart, he allows the nations to treat him like a god, to worship him. Josephus, the Jewish historian, he says, on the second day of the festival, Agrippa enters the theater by daybreak and he puts on a robe clad with silver and quite wonderful weaving. And as the king flatterers were astonished at the radiance of the silver robe when it was touched by the rays of the sun, they addressed him as a god. Be gracious to us. Up until now, we have regarded you as a human being, but from now on, we confess you to be of more than human. And in that moment, Herod didn't stop them and say, no, I am not a god. He relished in that and stopped breathing. And he died because he did not give God the glory. He attempted to steal God's glory. Not because God is petty and he doesn't share. That's not why he dies. That's not why Herod dies. But for God to allow man to be worshiped and not to intervene would be allowing humanity to fool themselves into thinking and worshiping a false god placing their hope in, in something that is going to guaranteed fail them. He desires us to worship and depend on him, the one and only God, because he alone can provide what we need. So may we not make the mistake of Tyre and Sidon. May we understand that we depend on God alone for the very bread that we eat. The government would have you believe that they're your answer, some are okay with that. Some think that they're the answer because they have a good job and they work hard and they planned well for you. Their own food, but that is just as foolish as trusting someone else to provide for you. The Lord is your creator. The Lord is your sustainer. Honor him alone as such. And as you pray, Lord, give us today our daily bread. Understand that it is truly you are truly dependent on him for your daily bread. And ask for his grace to be poured out on you. May we worship none other than the triune God. Never holding anyone in a position like that. Like Herod. God alone is worthy 
to be praised. God alone is your hope and your strength. God alone is your provider and your sustainer. God alone is your savior and your deliverer. We certainly do not want to treat others that way and certainly do not want to be treated as gods. This is why John the Baptist cries out, he must increase, I must decrease. That's why it is right here on this pulpit. So I never want to steal God's glory. And you should also never want to steal God's glory. I say often in here, you will make a crummy God. You will fail every time. Because Jesus is preeminent, he's surpassing all others, he will build his kingdom, his word will increase. Know, church, that Jesus is the king and live in that confidence. There's none higher than him. No greater, none, none greater, none stronger. He holds all power and has set his plan in eternity and that plan cannot be changed. If you're here today and you have not recognized Jesus as king, but have attempted to be the God of your own life, to control your own life, to control your own situations, Allow the story of Herod to wake you up to the truth. Jesus alone is the king, but he's merciful and he's ready to save. Psalm 2, 12 says, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. And church, since we know that Jesus has all authority and he's presently reigning as the king, then we can live by faith that the word of God will multiply and increase. But that doesn't mean we don't have to participate. That doesn't mean we can just sit back and do nothing. May we earnestly pray to our sovereign Lord. May we boldly proclaim the power of our sovereign Lord. And may we worship our sovereign Lord, but we better not be silent. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You, God, are the sovereign one. There are no powers greater than you. But God, we are so weak. We so often doubt. We so often get worried and, and think that things are out of control. I pray that you would anchor in my heart and in my brother's and sister's heart and here, Lord, that you are the reigning sovereign king and your word will forever increase. God, you are building your church. I just pray that you would give us a heart of prayer. Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart to proclaim your power and that we would always recognize your preeminence, that you surpass all others and there is no other God but you. We love you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. 
please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.